Today, Pastor Ray Bentley points out the significance of Jesus' triumphal entry riding upon a donkey. Making that public proclamation, you bet I am the Messiah, the King of Israel. It is impossible to overemphasize the raw courage of Jesus Christ when he sat upon that donkey. All the Jews knew when the Messiah comes, he will come bringing salvation, riding on a donkey. Spreading the news of his people coming down before the King. Lift your voice, Jesus is coming, join the song. Welcome to Maranatha Radio with Pastor Ray Bentley. Maranatha, bringing the message of Christ's soon return, the whole gospel to the whole world. Throughout history, kings have been known for embracing pomp and circumstance, splendor, regalness, celebrations of their aristocratic majesty. Jesus, the King of Kings, deserved even more, but demanded much less. Today, we'll consider the only time he showed a glimpse of his royalty. Let's open our Bibles to the Gospel of Luke chapter 19. And we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 19, beginning with verse 28, going through verse 40. Let's bow our heads and pray and ask the Lord to speak to us. Father, we come before you, pray and ask that the Holy Spirit will speak to our hearts, lead and guide us into the truth. May we hear what the Spirit says to the church. We love you and we thank you, Father, for the privilege of just waiting upon you having your word ministered to our hearts. We ask it in Jesus' wonderful name. And everyone said, amen. I want you to look with me in verses 28 and 29 as we start looking at the triumphal entry of Jesus. And perhaps you can make some parallels to your own life and God's calling upon you as well. He went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. Notice that, first of all, any time that you were in the Bible and you were going to Jerusalem, no matter whether you were coming from north, south, east, or west, you were always going up to Jerusalem. Do you know why it says that? Well, number one, because it's the spiritual epicenter of the whole world. So it's the spiritual mountaintop. So in a spiritual sense, that is true. But it is also true, God made it, that Mount Zion, the heart of Jerusalem, upon which is the Temple Mount itself, where God manifested his presence, is geographically on top of a mountain. And so the only way you can go to Jerusalem and the heart of Jerusalem, the place to worship God, you literally, physically are going up. So often God gives to us, in fact, Paul wrote to the Corinthians, first the natural, then the spiritual. God speaks to us through the natural to show us spiritual or supernatural truth. So Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. Verse 29, it says, and it came to pass when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet, that he said then to his disciples saying, go into the village opposite you and there you will find a colt tied. Now, let me describe a little bit this uh, journey. We left off the story of Zacchaeus and then the parable that Jesus told and he has been in Jericho. From Jericho to Jerusalem is only a 17 mile journey. And now Jesus is finally going to reach his ultimate goal. From Jericho, the road to Jerusalem is a very, very steep climb. In fact, Jericho is right down uh, near the Dead Sea, which if you don't know this, the Dead Sea is the lowest place 
physically on planet Earth. The lowest spot on the Earth is the Dead Sea. And then from there, he's going to ascend these rugged uh, Judean hills, which are basically limestone hills and treacherous barren lands of the Judean wilderness, going up and down these barren lands and mountains, finally making his way up to the backside of what is the Mount of Olives. And so it's a climb from 1,200 feet below sea level to about 2,500 feet above sea level. This is a dramatic and a steep climb. Do you know it's interesting, the Bible talks about in the book of Genesis, the wrath of God, the judgment of God, and so forth upon uh, the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. We do not and have not really found any physical evidence of where those two cities are, but the theories in Israel in modern times, even among the archeologists is that wherever they were, they were probably in the vicinity of the Dead Sea, <laughs> the lowest place on the earth, very dry, barren, arid place. Now, as they climb the backside of what's called Adumim, and they're gathering now, they're, they're gaining elevation, the air is getting a little fresher, a little crisp, they can feel the breezes that are now blowing, uh, Jesus and the disciples would be met with more and more and more travelers. And literally, by the time they get to the backside of the Mount of Olives, there would have been, if you can begin to imagine this, tens of thousands of Jewish pilgrims and families from all quarters making their way to celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread in Jerusalem. Uh, literally, as they got to the Mount of Olives, there would be rivers of people. There would be whole villages. Uh, there would be flocks of livestock in and amongst all of the people. There would be packs of children running in and through the streets because what would happen is coming from all different four uh, quarters of the land of ancient Israel, you would then, as the people began to converge in this river of humanity, you would see an uncle, you would see a cousin, you would see some relative, and you would start shouting, hey, 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 and they would all begin gathering together. Friends begin recognizing one another along the way. And the last hill to climb, now this whole time you still are not seeing Jerusalem, the last hill to climb is the Mount of Olives. Once you reach the top of the Mount of Olives, from there you look out over this deep valley called the Kidron Valley, and across the valley, which is very deep, but not very far, is Mount Zion, and on top of Mount Zion, in the center of it, is the temple. The point of celebration, the presence of the Lord, where the Feast of Unleavened Bread, Passover, will be celebrated. So they come up to the backside of the Mount of Olives near the top of it called Bethphage, which means the house of unripe figs. And from there, Jesus sends two of his disciples ahead to acquire a donkey. Jesus is staging this event that we call Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry. And I want you to notice, and I, I put a few thoughts here in your notes about Jesus' entrance, which is gonna turn into, I mean, when they get up on the, on the crest of the Mount of Olives, and when Jesus sits on that donkey, as we'll talk about in just a moment, everybody instantly knows that Jesus is staging a presentation as the Messiah and the King of Israel, and there will be 
Bedlam, there will be shouting, screaming, hollering, chaos. People will be going crazy, jumping in the air, shouting at the top of their lungs. Because along the way, they have been singing and will be singing what are called the Hallel Psalms. Those are Messianic Psalms. We'll look at that in just a moment. But notice this about the entrance of Jesus. Number one, it was carefully planned. It was not something that was done suddenly. It was not done impulsively. It wasn't done at the last minute. When Jesus told the disciples, I want you, to, I want you guys, to, you two, go over there and I want you to ask for the donkey. And when you ask for it, and when they say, why do you need it? Say to them, the Lord has need of it. That means this was prearranged. Jesus had, it wasn't just spur of the moment, it had all been prearranged. No doubt those who had the donkey were disciples or at least believers and followers of Jesus who were there within the vicinity of Jerusalem and the password, in other words, they weren't to let this young donkey go to anyone unless they said the magic words, the Lord has need of it. And when that password, that was kind of the code, the password, all right, that means Yeshua has arrived and now he's going to proclaim himself the Messiah and the King. The second thing we learned, it was an act of glorious defiance on the part of Jesus Christ. And I might add incredible courage. Why? Because by this time, after all the miracles, after all the teachings, after the casting out of the devils, of moving through and, and literally showing authority over nature, raising even the dead, Jesus has become a lightning rod, especially among the religious leaders and elite in Jerusalem, and they have already put a price on his head. Now they have determined that we don't want to do anything to him, we don't want to grab him, because he's right now extremely popular with all those people. You know, all the little people, they look up to him because he does all these miracles, but we know he's a false prophet and a deceiver. So we don't want to do anything during Passover. We want to get through the religious season and as soon as that is over, we'll grab him and we will try him and we will put him to death as a false prophet. So what Jesus does, always before he had kind of been uh, delaying, revealing who he was or making a direct claim except to those who got that information by the Holy Spirit. So he has a price on his head, but now he stands up on the top of the Mount of Olives and what he does and the way he does it, every eye is now upon him. He is making a confrontation with the Sanhedrin and the religious leaders there in Jerusalem. And what Jesus is saying is no, you are not gonna have your nice little Passover time and then wait and secretly and privately reject me and have me executed. Because the prophets have said, and my father has decreed that I, who am the Messiah, who am the Passover lamb, and who will lay down my life for the nation and for the sheep, and for that matter, for the whole world, it will happen on Passover. And I will challenge you today, and Jesus knew by taking that stand and being on the docking on the top of the Mount of Olives and making that public proclamation, you bet I am who you think I am and who you think 
that others have said about me, I am the Messiah, the King of Israel. It is impossible to overemphasize the raw courage of Jesus Christ on the day of Palm Sunday when he sat upon that donkey. It was a deliberate claim to be Israel's King, Zechariah 9, 9, that talks about it. Pastor Ray Bentley will have more of today's study in just a moment. Pastor Ray's messages continue to reach so many people every day. Every time I hear Pastor Ray teach God's Word on the radio, his love for the Lord is very much evident. He's always excited, and he succeeded in passing that excitement to me, which often prompted me to go back to the Lord in prayer, to read God's Word, and to allow the Holy Spirit to lead my life. I'm so thankful for Pastor Ray's life. Messages like that continue to be such a great encouragement to all of us at Maranatha Radio. If you'd like to send a message, just send it to ray at raybentley.com or post a comment online at raybentley.com. And now more of today's message from Pastor Ray Bentley. Let's go back to the story here in verse 29. It says, And it came to pass when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite you, where as you enter you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. By the way, the idea is that Jesus sat on a, a young colt of a donkey, which means that it should be wild the first time anybody gets near it. And then the, the young colt would, have its, would be tied to its mother, but Jesus would sit upon that young colt, that donkey. And the fact that it did not jump, wasn't nervous, and it just rode. Supernaturally, it showed who Jesus was and that by the spirit and the glory of the Lord within him, the animal was at rest and peace. And so going on, verse 31, and if anyone asks you, why are you loosing it? Thus shall you say to him, because the Lord has need of it. As I mentioned, that is the kind of the password that was given. Verse 32, and so those who were sent went their way and found it just as he had said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said to them, why are you loosing the colt? This was a special colt. <laughs> this was a messianic little donkey with a great destiny. And they said, the Lord has need of him. What an incredible thing that the Lord does this. And then they brought him to Jesus. And then they threw their clothes upon the cold and they set Jesus on. And as he went, many spread their clothes along the road. Now, as I mentioned before, Jesus had held his identity as the Messiah quiet. He, in fact, had warned his disciples, don't tell anyone who I am. Do you remember reading that in the Gospels? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He did some incredible miracle that you have been blind for your whole life and then he heals you and he goes, shh, don't tell anybody. Or you're lame and then all of a sudden you can walk and you know, don't tell anybody. Cleanses a leper, don't tell anybody. Well, of course, people could not keep that a secret. But the idea was, he said, now is not the time for a public proclamation. You know it and I know it but let's keep that between ourselves. Jesus had even hushed the scary, eerie voices of the possessed, the demon possessed, who everywhere wanted to try to proclaim, we know who he is, you guys, he's the son of God. Son of David, have you come to torment us before the time? And he'd say, be still, 
Be quiet. Uh, for a number of reasons. Number one, he doesn't want praise from demons who are in league and rebellion against the kingdom of heaven with Satan. Yes, they know who he is, but he doesn't want their testimony. And thirdly, because it was not the hour. It was not the hour that had come. When Simon Peter proclaimed, you know, on, uh, up in the mountain uh, there in Caesarea Philippi, and Jesus gave them their, their graduate test. By the way, Jesus' training of the disciples for three years, that when they finally had their graduate test, there was only one question on the test. And the one question after three years of being with Jesus, all they saw, all they heard, all they learned, all that they were taught is this, who do you say that I am? That was the only question on the test. And Peter said, we know who you are. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father, which is in heaven, Peter, you have had a divine revelation to know who I am. I've often thought if Peter kind of looked over his shoulder, did you guys hear that? <laughs> I've had divine revelation. You guys got any questions? Come to Peter. But there was Peter. He knew who he was. But do you know what Jesus said right after Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And the, all the others agreed and said, we agree. We know and we're with Peter. That's true. Immediately, Jesus said, tell no one what you have just said and what you have discovered and what you have learned. Why? Because the hour had not yet come. Well, guess what Palm Sunday was? The hour, the arrival, the focal point of everything. He goes, he goes public. He makes a demonstration. The hour has come. Jesus' request for the donkey on this occasion was nothing less than a declaration of his Messiahship. So in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, uh, which I have put into your notes, let's read this scripture, Zechariah 9, 9. Let's read it out loud together, shall we? Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Do you know that Zechariah 9.9, even in Jewish rabbinic literature, that Zechariah passage is universally interpreted as messianic. That's talking about the Messiah. All the Jews knew and would say when the Messiah comes, he will come lowly, humbly bringing salvation, riding on a donkey. The son of David was to come riding on a donkey. The Messiah was to come riding on a donkey. He would bring salvation. In fact, I don't know if you knew this, but the Jews said that when Moses had come to Egypt, having been out in the wilderness, declaring salvation, he came to Egypt riding on a donkey. Just as David himself had left Jerusalem riding on a donkey. And I don't know if you had noticed this, but in the great story of Abraham, who went up on the mountain, Moriah, that God showed him, where God said, sacrifice to me your son, your only begotten son, Isaac, as a test. Do you know that in the first uh, five verses of Genesis chapter 22, it talks about Abraham and Isaac and a donkey. And the rabbis said that this was a subtle reference to the messianic age, that Abraham himself going to Mount Moriah, willing to lay down and sacrifice his son. And the donkey that went with them was a picture of the future when the Messiah himself would come. 
Now, you and I, in modern times, we think about this and we go, okay, he's riding on a donkey. What is that all about? And, and what does it mean? Sometimes the kings are riding on horses. Very simply, let me share with you this. In ancient times, even in ancient Israel, uh, when a king would ride upon a horse, it was a sign and symbol of war. You rode a horse when you were leading an army into battle. And even the ancient kings of Israel would ride upon horses when they went into battle. When you were reigning as a king or sovereign in peacetime, you would ride upon a donkey. Riding upon a lowly, humble, little donkey uh, meant that you didn't need a horse, you didn't need to be high and lifted off the ground, you weren't leading or rushing into battle, but you were humble, you were low, you were approachable, you were near the people, and it was a time of peace that you could afford the luxury of riding on donkey. It was very powerful, prestigious. Many of the ancient kings of Israel had ridden upon donkeys. Now knowing then that when a king is on a horse, it means war, or when a king is on a donkey, it means peace, it tells us that when Jesus was entering into Jerusalem this time, what was he offering, war or peace? He's offering peace. Now interestingly, we come to the book of Revelation, we have the picture of the second coming of Jesus Christ, and what is Jesus riding when he comes from heaven? He's riding a horse. What does that tell you is going on? There's war. So let's read Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 14. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. You know, one of the things, uh, when I think about that, Jesus coming back, and who is he going to war against when Jesus comes back in the second coming? The Antichrist. And uh, how many are glad that between Jesus Christ and the Antichrist that you are going to be on Jesus Christ's team? That's the winning team. And notice what it says in the end of the verse here. He comes with the armies of heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, and they followed him on white horses. So what's that tell you? That in the kingdom to come, there are going to be animals, number one, horses in particular, and there are many who believe, many Bible teachers who believe that the army is coming with Christ back to the earth is none other than you and I. Have you ever thought of yourself riding a white horse with Jesus in front of you? Instead of just, you know, seeing it in a movie, we're going to be in the action and coming back to rule and reign with him. How cool is that? So. Here is the picture of, of the second coming, Jesus declaring war upon the Antichrist and his armies. Pastor Ray Bentley with some interesting insights about a detail we may have overlooked. And he'll have more teaching about the Lord's triumphal entry next time here on Maranatha Radio. Today's study is titled, The Triumphal Entry. If you missed any part, you can hear a replay on iTunes or at raybentley.com. That's raybentley.com. There at the homepage, there's a place to leave a written tribute to Pastor Ray's life and ministry. And by clicking Media, you'll see the words Watch, Radio, and Devo. 
three ways to enjoy Pastor Ray's insights via video, audio recording, or daily devotions. In fact, at the very bottom of the page, you can arrange to receive Pastor Ray's daily devotions each day automatically at no charge, and also link to his YouTube and Facebook pages. Why not bookmark it? RayBentley.com. And then after 30 years on the radio and the passing of Pastor Ray Bentley in early 2022, we are approaching the end of the Maranatha radio program. We'd like to thank you, our dedicated listeners, who've joined us through the years as we've journeyed with Pastor Ray through the Bible. We'll be continuing the broadcast through the remainder of 2023, but we're excited to share that we'll have a dedicated online location to access all of Pastor Ray's content, including video, audio sermons, books, and more. Please visit raybentley.com to follow along with us. But we hope you'll stay with us here on the radio through the end of the year. Next time, join Pastor Ray for more from our studies in the book of Luke. More from God's Word next time on Maranatha Radio. Maranatha, bringing the message of Christ's soon return, the whole gospel to the whole world. Maranatha Radio with Pastor Ray Bentley is an outreach of Maranatha Chapel, 10752 Coastwood Road, San Diego, California, 92127.